Stand clear of the closing doors, please. In a Brooklyn fractured into speculative storyscapes, you never know what could be lurking around the corner. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi, or the just plain weird. Join Professor Brad Overstreet, Senior Junior Lecturer Sam Spellingbaum, Professor Emeritus Calliope DeGamowitz, and Inquisitor James Earl King II as they discover the stories drifting in and out of your reality. row tickets to the end of all how stunningly unoriginal hey castle spelling down has a classic art deco aesthetic i meant the song you fool but since you mention it uh, the song is a callback whatever ivan reitman castle spelling oh i do not have to put up with this let me guess you're not a monster you're just ahead of the curve. You know what it's like to feel so desperately that you're right, but to fail nonetheless? You can suck the fun out of a cat toy. Oh, have the lambs stopped screaming, Clarice? <laughs> oh, you know what? I... Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right! Oh, goddamn it. Someone can't handle the truth. Silence! The Omniverse awakens. And when its eye turns to this multiverse, it will shatter everything you know, right down to the very bonds holding the atoms of your being together. You're saying you expect them to die? Oh. The bonds! Yeah, I okay. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Get her out of here. I guess he wasn't kidding. <laughs> this place 
was any more Spartan, there'd be a shirtless Gerard Butler and racism. Oh, well, it was fun while it lasted. Oh, oh my goodness! Look at you! What are you doing in here? Rachel's Home by Liz Regal. Well, aren't you the most adorable little woozy-woozy thing? Rachel is Home by Liz Regal We can hear Rachel's footsteps coming up the stairs, so we crowd around the door like dogs and wait for her. She slides her key into the lock, and then the doorknob glows with life as she turns it, animated by her touch. She opens the door, and her light pours in, and we reach for her, trying to feel her face and hands and body, She drops her purse and keys and a handful of mail onto the cluttery kitchen table, and they become irrelevant the moment they leave her hand. I can see them still, but there's no point in seeing them, not when Rachel is standing there with blood throbbing through the arteries in her neck, her chest rising and falling as she breathes. When Rachel isn't here with us, we watch the mice instead, or the roaches, those times when she's managed to trap or poison enough of the mice. But the roaches aren't satisfying. They're barely alive at all. At least the mice can feel, and they can want things. They make homes and have families, and it matters to them when they die. But when Rachel comes, we can't even see them anymore. Her glow drowns out their sparks of life completely. Nothing but Rachel matters when Rachel is home. We follow her into the bedroom and watch her kick her shoes off and collapse onto the bed. She exhales and we hear the vibration of her breath as her lungs force it from her body. She strips off her shirt and her pants and unhooks her bra. And I think I remember that they must still be warm from the heat of her body. And then she flings them from the bed into a corner of the room and I forget them. She stands again and moves toward the dresser, and we trail behind her. She bends to open a low drawer, and we crouch beside her, and we grasp at the T-shirt and pajama pants as she pulls them out and puts them on, and then we follow her into the kitchen. She takes a bag of frozen vegetables from the freezer and a package of raw chicken breasts from the fridge. She hums to herself as she ignites a burner on the stove, and heats peanut oil in a shallow pan. She pulls a knife from the knife block, and it comes alive in her hand, the life flowing down through the blade as it becomes an extension of her body. I watch her slice the chicken into long, thin strips, and I reach through her chest to where I know her heart must be. I try to feel it beating. It doesn't work. It never has. Or at least... It's never worked for me. I've never asked the others if they can feel her when they reach for her. I've never tried to speak to them at all, and they've never tried to speak to me. There would be no point. We have nothing to say to each other. All we have are memories, and without any life inside them, those memories are as pointless as the keys lying on the table, the clothes discarded on the floor. The people those memories belonged to don't exist. Rachel exists. 
We watch the rhythmic circles of the spatula in her hand as she stir-fries the chicken, adds the vegetables, pours in sauce from a bottle. We watch her switch the burner off and spoon half of the stir-fry into a bowl and leaves the rest of it in the pan on the stove. We watch her take a fork from a drawer and a beer from the fridge, watch her carry the bowl and the beer into the living room and set them down on the coffee table. She sinks onto the couch and tucks her legs beneath her and reaches for the remote control, and we surround her. We reach into her as she eats, trying to feel the food as it moves from her mouth to her throat to her stomach and intestines. We watch Rachel's eyes flicker in wild patterns as she stares at the meaningless flashes of colored light on the screen behind us. I slide my fingers into her eyes, and nothing happens. Time passes. Rachel turns the TV off and stands and stretches and walks away, leaving the empty bowl on the coffee table. She goes into the bathroom, and we follow her there. We watch her as she pulls down the pajama pants and sits on the toilet. We watch her urinate, imagining the flexing of the muscles in her bladder, the twitch of her urethra as she finishes and wipes herself. We watch her set a timer on her phone for two minutes and brush her teeth until it rings, wet a washcloth and wash her face, put on moisturizer, switch off the light, and leave. She goes back into the kitchen and puts away the stir-fry, and then she heads to her room and pulls back the covers and crawls into bed. We lie down in the bed with her, on her, in her, so close to each other that we overlap and we watch her sleep. I stare at her face and reach inside her, trying again to feel her heart beating inside her chest. I wonder if she'll stay here until that heart of hers stops beating and she joins us. Then she won't matter anymore. She'll watch the mice and roaches with us until someone new moves in, and then she'll reach for them the way we're reaching for her now, trying and failing to remember how it felt to have hearts of our own. Liz Regal is a queer collage artist, sometimes beekeeper, and writer who is endlessly inspired by the natural world. Bradley Robert Parks is a writer and sometimes singer and founder of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers in 2010. His publication credits can be found on his website, bradleyrobertparks.com. He lives in Brooklyn with his husband and one perfect cat, Miss Magoo. This episode was made possible by our Patreon subscribers. A special thank you to Erica and Jessica Schreiber. We hope you enjoy listening to the Kaleidocast as much as we enjoy making it for you. If you are, will you consider joining our Patreon? It's a way for you to financially support this podcast with whatever you feel comfortable giving. Right now, the Kaleidocast pays semi-pro rates for original fiction, but we have big dreams. We want to pay more for the authors, narrators, engineers, and artists who make this podcast possible. 
won't you join us? Visit patreon.com slash kaleidocastnyc. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash k-a-l-e-i-d-o-c-a-s-t-n-y-c. From all your producers, Bradley, Cam, S.O.A., Joe, Marcus, Marcy, Sam, and Sandra, thank you for supporting the Kaleidocast. lost him. Hold on. This place used to be a bodega. What is this? Is that a, is that an anthropology? Look at all the businesses on the, on the block. One, two, three, four, four, five, five fucking anthropologies, six soul cycles, a clean cuisine Chinese takeout. What the fuck is that? What is that? It started the beginning of the end. Oh, hell no! The end of existence should at least have explosions, practical robots punching CGI cowboys, in bullet time. It is not going to be white people kombucha and gender reveal parties! Ooh, blue flames. It's a boy! Right, we are hashtag canceling the apocalypse. Overstreet, he said he had some uh, several brilliant something-somethings back at the restaurant. Spill it. With the Omniverse watching, it's risky. Probably impossible. I said spill it! Ow! We need to enter the realm of the digital dead. Wait, weren't we just there? No, the digital dead. The dark web of the dark web. Where the dankest of the dank memes fornicate. Where the code of the material and the spiritual interface. And why do we need to go there? It's where the IP address of the Oracle leads. They're our only chance now. All right, then. What do we need? Hmm, just off the top of my head. A mint condition NES, the worst game ever created, and a preternaturally appropriate story. Oh, is that all? You just have all that... On you? I'm a businessman, overdrawn. Get out. Is that... The most potent sought-after occult artifacts of the digital age? E.T. the extraterrestrial, the video game adaptation. Blow on it. Yeah, but it's... it's an Atari. Uh, okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff. This is terrible. Worst game ever. It's working. Now the story. Land of the Morning Calm, a story by E.C. Myers. Yes, that will work nicely. Let's go. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, this game is terrible. It's just... Wow. James... All right, all right, I'm coming!
The Land of the Morning Calm by E. C. Myers, originally published in the 2018 anthology *A Thousand Beginnings and Endings*, edited by Ellen O. and Elsie Chapman. When I get home, I'm surprised to see light shining through the closed blinds on the kitchen windows. I hesitate at the back door, what I refer to as the servants' entrance, because only I use it anymore. I press two fingers to the single pearl choker at my throat, and an image of my mother sitting at the table pops into my head. She was always there to greet me after school, pecking at her laptop keyboard with her knees pulled up to her chest. I unlock the door and open it to another unexpected sight: Harabuji and Dad at the kitchen table drinking soju together. My grandfather, of course, is traditional enough that he thinks preparing meals and washing dishes are a woman's work, i.e., mine. Dad is more enlightened, but he's also busy and his cooking sucks. So the kitchen's pretty much my exclusive domain. I realize now that Mom probably had used it as her office because she knew the men folk wouldn't disturb her there. Hey guys, what's up? I ask. They've barely spoken to each other since Dad started dating Lisa a month ago. I mean, of course it's awkward to bring your new girlfriend home when your dead wife's father lives with you, but Harabaji just has to deal with it. We are the only family he has left, and we need to stick together. Plus, it's been five years, and Dad deserves to be happy. At least one of us should be happy. I count the little green liquor bottles lined up between them. Seven empties. Then I check how Dad's doing. He used alcohol to deal with Mom's death, but he's finally gotten to a good place. Lisa is helping with that too. I'm conflicted over her myself, but I know she isn't a replacement for Mom. Neither of us want that, and she's pretty cool actually. She plays flute in an orchestra, and she has the cutest pet corgi on the planet named Reginald Barkley. Barkley has his own Instagram account with way more followers and likes than me. Where were you? Harabaji asks. Yeah, he's drunk. School? I toss my backpack onto the floor and lean my elbows on a chair to face them. Cigarette smoke hangs thick in the air. The ashtray next to Harabaji's glass overflows with ashes and butts. I wrinkle my nose. You got my text? He asks. Yes, you only need to send it once, you know. My phone shows four texts from my grandfather, all identical. Hana's angry. Come home. Sometimes I wish I'd never shown him how to text. What do you think, Mom did this time? I ask. She hid my cigarettes. Harabaji says. Right. It can't be that you forgot where you left them. Again, I wave my hand in the air. Too bad you found them. You blame every weird thing in this house on Kishin, like when he found his comb somewhere he didn't expect, or tiny pebbles ended up in his slippers, or his tea went cold while he was drinking it. Kishin, Kishin, Kishin. Harabaji says my mother is a Kishin. That's the Korean word for ghost. Of course, that's ridiculous. I'm right there with you, but. It's not always so easy to discount because somehow he knew she had died before anyone else did. He claimed she came to him in a dream. It was my eleventh birthday, which I'd been looking forward to for ages. 
I woke up to find a letter from Horgwetz on my pillow. Mom obviously hadn't written it with a typo like that, along with a night owl feather, a small buttercream flower cake, and a patch of jelly beans, which I immediately discovered were only nasty flavors like vomit and earwax. That was Dad's doing, of course. Before you think, aw, best family ever, you should know that my parents were both in San Diego for the weekend without me. Dad was running focus groups for a new game his company was making, and Mom was at a science fiction convention. She claimed she was also on a business trip. She was writing a fantasy novel and needed to network to get an agent. But she was really going for fun. She had made a new costume, a gumiho from the Land of the Morning Calm, an online video game commonly called Lot MC. Mom had debuted her costume for us in the family room just a few days before the con. I was amazed at how her body language suddenly transformed as she slipped on a brown velvet mask with large slanted eyes, pointed ears, and whiskers. She shook her butt and nine orange feathers swished behind her, making her look more like a scantily clad peacock than a nine-tailed fox to me. Sonny, your mom's a fox, Dad said. I groaned, but that was far from the worst pun he'd ever made. No, that one would be my name. Sun Moon. I still can't believe Mom went along with that. You look just like Unha, I said. She had modeled her costume after her Lot MC character, a warrior mage fox spirit. The purple pearl on the leather choker was a perfect match for her in-game Gumio bead a priceless relic that contained the magical fox's knowledge and essence. Thanks, flower cake, she said. You could still come with us. It would be easy to whip together a costume for Isang. Isang was my character, a scholar-slash-thief who could transform into a bear cub. Maybe next time, I said. Unlike mom, I couldn't get away with skipping out on responsibilities to go play pretend with my friends. Midterms were coming up, so I would be spending my birthday weekend studying. If I don't get stuck at work, Pikaram also will make an appearance at the con. Roar! Dad swiped at Mom's tails with a clawed hand. Easy, tiger! Mom looked around. Now where's my brush gotten to? Dad and I pointed to the computer desk, where she'd left her hairbrush on top of the monitor again. I miss moments like that. Anyway, so finding the letter and even the gross jelly beans was a nice surprise. Almost magical, if I hadn't known that Haraboji had snuck them into my room during the night. I'd gone to thank him and found him sobbing and rocking back and forth in bed. Haraboji, what's wrong? He waved me over and then grabbed me in a tight hug. He smelled like cigarettes and tiger balm. She's gone, son. Hana. Your mother is gone. I pulled away from him. What? She came to me in a dream. She stood right there. He stabbed an index finger toward the foot of his bed. You didn't see her too? I sighed. Harabaji was obsessed with the prophetic meaning behind his dreams. He sometimes bought a bunch of lottery tickets when he had a good money dream, but he hasn't won yet. Ghosts don't exist, I said. He'd been telling stories about Kishin since I was little. Great stuff for bedtime tales if you want to make a kid wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Kishin were usually transparent and legless. The spirits of dead people out for revenge or with some unfinished business. 
Sometimes that unfinished business meant an unmarried woman who'd never had sex. Harabaji called it looking for love. Some of them hid underwater and tried to drown you, or haunted forests and killed hapless hikers. But most of them were supposed to be harmless, unless you ignore their attempts to get your attention. It was Hana's kishin. He slapped his knee. Fine. I threw up my hands. What did it look like? She had a fox face and nine tails fanning behind a white hanbok. I covered my mouth. Harabaji hadn't seen mom's costume before she left. He didn't approve of her cosplaying or of much of anything she did. If she was wearing a mask, how did you know it was her? I asked. Not a mask. It was her. But she looked like a gumiho. I felt it. I know my own daughter. He laughed gruffly. <sighs> she looked ridiculous like a cartoon. She always was a foolish girl. Look, I'll call her right now, I said. I went back to my room and got my phone. And for some reason, I picked up the owl feather from my bedspread and brought it too. I dialed as I returned to his room. The line rang and rang and rang before it went to voicemail. That was the last time I heard her voice, and it was telling a lie. Hi, this is Hannah Kim Moon. Sorry you've missed me, but I'll call you right back. Hey, Mom. Just calling to see how you're doing. I twisted the feather around in my fingers. Call me when you get this. Harabuchi was looking at me with pity one, like he knew he was right, and he couldn't even hope that he dreamed up Pargishin. An hour later, Dad called to give me the bad news. One of Harabuchi's dreams had finally come true. Dad doesn't believe in ghosts any more than I do, but he's been strangely silent since I walked into the kitchen. I want to believe the world is bigger and more mysterious than it seems. I'd love to see mom again, even if she's a little transparent. It would be great to have her around even if it meant she kept pulling childish pranks on me. But when she died, I learned that wanting something with all your heart doesn't make it any more real. Dad, you're not buying this, right? I say. Well... Dad drains the last bit of soju in his glass and then stands up. Come take a look at this and tell me what you think. He leads me to desktop PC in the den, Harabuji trailing behind us a little unsteadily. This used to be the family computer, but only Harabuji uses it now. Dad and I use our laptops on the couch or in our rooms, together but not together. It's a goofy horror movie cliché, but I freeze when I see what's on the monitor. The splash screen for the land of the morning calm. Wow, we haven't played this since... I swallow. In a long time. Five years to be exact. While mom was marathoning Lot MC at her convention, she suffered a sudden brain aneurysm and collapsed right at her keyboard. She never woke up. So you see why Dad and I hadn't particularly felt like returning to the land of the ancient, magical Korea of the online game since. This is where we found the missing cigarettes. Dad points to the top of the monitor. Not surprising to find Harabaji's cigarettes at his computer. I didn't leave my cigarettes here. 
Harabochi says. And I didn't turn the damn game on either. Dad clears his throat. What makes it even weirder is today, Jasa announced that they're shutting down Lot MC next week. Oh, Dad. I give him a big hug that takes him, and me, by surprise. Lot MC has been running since 1998 in one form or another. The massive multiplayer online role-playing game had been a big part of our lives. My parents met in the game. A year later, they had an in-game wedding reception for their characters Unha and Pikaram in Angdong District. They also had a real-life wedding, but they only talked about the virtual one. I celebrated my 8th birthday party in Lot MC when they finally let me start playing. No matter how often we moved or what else was going on in our lives, the land of the morning come was there. Until it killed mom. I shove our fat cat Mura off the chair and plop into it. She bats my foot with a paw in irritation before slinking off, tail up in the feline version of flipping me off. Dad puts a hand on my shoulder, leans into me gently. It feels like we are losing her again. Unha, I say softly. When the game servers go offline, Mom's character Unha will be wiped with them, erasing the last remnants of her from the world. I blink away tears and reach for the fake purple pearl on the chain around my neck. The gumio bead from the costume Mom was wearing when she died. I saw it on her during the viewing, and I took it just before we closed the casket. It was weeks before Dad found out that I had it, but by then, he couldn't do anything about it. He could hardly blame me for wanting something to remember her by. Over the years, whenever I would start to forget what Mom looked like, I touched the bead and saw her again as clearly as if she were right in front of me. I nudged the mouse over to the start game button and tried to remember my password. Our family has a lifetime subscription to Lat MC, which seems morbid when I think about Mom. Dad's phone buzzes. He checks it and the gloom lifts from his face. Tell Lisa I say hi, I say. Harabuji makes a disapproving sound, and the temporary peace between him and Dad is over. Dad kisses me on top of my head and squeezes my shoulders. Will do. I close the program and turn off the computer. The aging machine takes forever to chug along. When the fan switches off, it's suddenly really quiet in the living room. So quiet, I hear Harabuji's stomach rumble. No wonder he can't hold his liquor. He hasn't eaten anything. I'll start dinner, I say. Mom looked over my shoulder while I created my user account for LATMC on the living room computer. She reached for the mouse to show me where to click, but I slapped her hand away. I can do it! I was excited because mom was finally letting me into her world. It seemed like she preferred spending more time in a virtual recreation of ancient Korea with a bunch of strangers rather than play board games with her family. We'd never done the things TV tells you mothers and daughters do together. Braiding each other's hair, clothes shopping, trying on makeup. Once, I'd asked her to help me make a Toph Beifang costume for Halloween, but she stayed up all night to make it herself. It was terrific, much better than anything I could have done, but I hated it. Shouldn't you be writing? I asked. I can do that later. You have to pick an animal, Mom said. I know, 
I clicked on the owl. The little animated bird flapped its wings and went, Ooh, ooh. Why did you pick that? Mom asked. I shrugged. It looks cute. This is an important decision. You shouldn't rush it, she said. Can't I change it later if I don't like it? I asked. Life doesn't work like that, son. This is just a game, she sighed. You're starting to sound like your grandfather. Harabaji is old and wise, I said. Oh, I'm going to make my character a venerable shaman. Maybe you aren't ready for this. Hot tears slipped down my face. Mom, please, you promised. She threw up her hand and walked away. Fine, do whatever you want. After dinner, Harabaji goes out to drink and play Hwatu cards with the other Korean old men in the neighborhood. Home alone, I curl up in bed with my laptop and prepare to plow through a mountain of homework. But I haven't been able to stop thinking about Mom and Lot MC since I got home, so instead of answering discussion questions on 1984, I open my browser and load thelandofthemorning.com. The site hasn't changed much since the early 2000s, except for the front-page notice about the game ending, with a timer counting down to midnight next Friday, GMT plus 9. They're planning a big blowout to bring the game to a conclusion, and everyone's invited. For its last week, LotMC is free to play. A download button is right next to it. Before I change my mind, I click the download link. While the game installs, I fiddle with my mom's gumio bead, and it all rushes back to me. The countless evenings I'd spent watching her play while I read on the couch, the stories she and dad would tell from their online adventures as detailed as if they'd really happened, which she had tried and failed to work into a sprawling novel in progress. Late nights spent as a family trying to destroy King Yama's undead armies. My final visit to the land, the night before mom died, and my world ended. The game's world had gone on without us, with millions of players logging in and carrying on their own lives and adventures. It takes three attempts before I remember my password. When I succeed, I'm surprised to see my old character, Isang the Brave Bear Cub. Isang the Naive. He had waited for me all this time, unchanged. But Isang has a mother, and I don't anymore. Life hasn't been on pause for me and I'm a different person now, so I create a new character. I select the Kishin Hunter class, and this time I pick a girl and make her look as close to my actual appearance as I can. Glasses, white tank top, black tights, short black hair with a blue streak. Some people, like my mom, put on masks and costumes to feel more like themselves, but I haven't been into playing dress-up for a long time. I don't mind adding thick combat boots and a ludicrously large broadsword to my ensemble, though. That's just sensible gear to have. As a final touch, I give my avatar a necklace with a single purple pearl. Then I consider for a moment, it's a big decision after all, before choosing an owl spirit again. This choice isn't only fueled by nostalgia, though. Wings will let me cover the most territory as quickly as possible. I plan to log in just long enough to fly over the land's three kingdoms one last time. And it doesn't matter anymore, so I shrug and enter my real name. Sun underscore moon. I sit up straight in bed when one name in my friends list catches my eye. Hannah Kimmy. Status? Online. 
Mom. It has to be a bug in the system, a cruel glitch. The last time she could have logged into the game was five years ago. But there's no harm in firing off a private message to her. Mom? It's sunny. It's as foolish a hope as buying a Powerball ticket. I wait. And wait. And wait. But there's no response. Of course there's no response. I don't believe in ghosts in the real world, but that's the joy of the Three Kingdoms. It's a fantasy world, an alternative version of ancient Korea, Joseon. Where animals can turn into people, people can become gods, and basically, anything can happen. The 11-year-old girl in me who once believed in magic still wishes there's something on the other side of death. It takes a moment to reorient myself to the game's controls, but I let sense memory take over, and soon it's like I never left. The land of the morning calm is just as I remember it, and my heart practically aches at its beauty. I should have come back sooner. I start the game in the village of Yangdong, in the southeastern part of the Joseon Peninsula. I don't have a destination in mind, since I was just planning to explore for a little while, so I wander around aimlessly. My first encounter is with a stag walking on its hind legs. The green text floating above its name identifies them as Shaolin Sucker Level 719. Wow, that's really high. I'd only gotten up to around level 73 when I quit, and that was pretty respectable. Good morning, Sun Moon. You're new here? They type. Do you need some help? I type. Longtime player, new character. I've been away for a while. Thought I'd take one more look around before they switch off the lights. They type. Bad news, all right. But hopefully the new server will hold up. New server? A private message pops up, along with a friend request from Shaolin Sucker. I accept both. Still, no response from Hannah Kimmy. I open their message and see an IP address. What's this? I ask. A player named Jasung set up his own private server to emulate the game. While he's testing capacity, it's invitation only. Unless you find an access point in-game to transfer your character over. I hear it's running underworld source code right now. I laugh. Clever, I type. In the Korean myth that Lot MC is loosely based on, Jasung's Haja is a kind of grim reaper working to collect souls for death. Sure I can't help with anything? They send me a smiley face. I hesitate, but as silly as it is to ask, it's also silly to be afraid to. I'm looking for someone who used to play a while back. If you're level 719, you must have been around for a while. Since day one, they type. My user ID is 88. Did you know a gumiho named Unha? It isn't that much of a long shot that he would know her. Millions of people play the game, but in her heyday, everyone knew mom. She was a guild leader and was active both in and out of the game, not to mention she was pretty well known for her Lot MC cosplays. Sure, I know her, they type. I saw her a couple of weeks ago in Hanho. I was just passing through, so I didn't stop to chat. That isn't possible. Hannah Kimmy? I type. That's her, they respond. A chilling thought occurs to me. Someone has hacked mom's account, took over her identity. 
LADMC has a wonderful supportive community, but like any online group, it also has its share of assholes and opportunists. Mom was in the 500-level club, and everyone knew she possessed a few of the rarest items in the game. Dad and I left a lot of credits on the table by leaving Mom's character untouched, which could have translated into real-world money. Maybe we should have done more with Unha, tried to secure Mom's legacy somehow. Then we would have discovered that somebody had stolen it or prevented it from happening. My guild's planning a raid on the palace later if you want to come, Shaolin sucker types. Thanks, but I'm just going to explore a bit. Have fun! Be careful out there! Dokebi and Mulkishin have been more active in the 3k lately. Stay away from open water. Not all Gishin are harmless. In Harabuji's bedtime stories, some of them would try to waylay travelers to eat or drown them. More nightmare fuel for imaginative little kids. I turn my character into a giant white owl and get airborne. Thanks to his information, I now have a goal. Look for whoever is masquerading as Unha. It may just be that I'm running the game on a more powerful computer, or they've upgraded the graphics engine over the years, but the Three Kingdoms have never looked better. There are far fewer players than there were in its heyday, but the countryside is dotted with travelers, and people cluster in villages and climb the mountains on whatever random quests they've taken on. I land in Hanho and shift back into human form. I walk up and down the village streets, marveling at how many computer-controlled characters are doing the same thing and interacting with players, making the game seem more active and alive. These NPCs, non-playing characters, react according to programmed algorithms meant to simulate human behavior. I've never seen so many of them in one place before. Practically, the whole village is full of fake people. I try talking to a couple of them to ask them if they've seen a nine-tailed fox, but they won't diverge from their scripted actions. They aren't programmed to think. Instead, they only comment on the weather, or mention items they're looking for, people they've lost track of, offering side missions that I don't have the time or interest for. Then, I see her. Even without the Unha level 999 wow, above her head, I would know Mom's avatar from all those countless hours of watching and playing beside her, and of course, her outfit resembles her Kumio costume. My shock and happiness at seeing her again, even as a digital artifact of her former self, is quickly overcome by anger. Her avatar is walking back and forth aimlessly just like all the NPCs around us. Back and forth, back and forth. I hurry over to her and click the talk icon. Who the hell are you? I type. Greetings, Sun Moon. Fine day, isn't it? Who are you? I type again. Unha is my mother's character. You stole it. How did you access her account? Then I notice that her kumio bead is missing. Where's her pearl necklace? Did you sell it? I am Unha, she says. My mother is dead, asshole! Her avatar graphic stutters. Have you seen my hairbrush? She asks. That really unsettles me. I can practically hear Mom's voice. Have you seen my hairbrush? Mom always used to lose her brushes and combs. It got so bad that we bought them in bulk and sprinkled them around the house so one would always be nearby. And even so, they slowly started to disappear. But here, it's been presented as a mini-mission. This can't be another person behind her character, but maybe someone coded her likeness into the game. 
Sometimes, programmers added little tributes to their players when enough people asked for it. Dad and I never did. We just wrote off the game. I wonder what would happen if I found or bought a brush and brought it back to her. Would she give me a clue to some kind of treasure or a cryptic hint for defeating Yama's hordes? Then a tiny, hopeful voice in the back of my head wonders whether it could really be her. Mom? Mom, if you're in there, it's me, Sunny, I type. I try any number of different approaches, but she never responds in anything but a limited robotic way. Unha is just like any other NPC, a slave to the game instead of an agent of her own fate. And yet, it was like Haraboji said, I know her. This is more than a mass of glowing pixels on my screen. It's my mother, and I have one more thing to try. I get up and go to my desk, rummage around and grab my old gaming headset. I pull it on and plug the mic jack into my laptop. Mom? I say. Hello? The word sunny appears on screen. For a moment, I think her character is just remarking on the damn weather again. But then, I hear her voice too. Sunny! She says. Sunny! I start crying. I have to crank the volume up all the way. And even then, it's barely audible nearly lost in an electronic hiss and crackle. No, it's composed of it. Noise and air, like very poor audio sampling. Her voice is distant and breathy and strained, the way someone sounds when they talk into an empty glass. But it's her. And while I never forgot what she looked like because we have so many photos of her, I'd forgotten what she sounded like. Mom, it's really you, I say. How? What happened? What are you? I don't know what happened. I've forgotten. It's been too long. Five years, I say. You look good, little flower cake. I don't know if she's referring to my avatar or if she can somehow see me behind the screen. This is so strange. I sort of remember I was in two places at once, in my body and here, she says. I see Appa sometimes. Her father. Harabuchi thinks you're a Kishin. She laughs a harsh, disharmonious sound in my headphones, like garbled effects. He says you visit him, you move things around. I wonder if she's been trying to communicate with him in the only way she could, because he was using the old computer with LotMC installed on it. Maybe that is her link to the real world. You left me here, she says. I didn't know. But is it okay there? You used to love it in the 3K. It's wonderful. But I miss... Real... The sound garbles. How's father? Dad? He's okay. I hesitate. Should I mention Lisa? He met someone. She's nice. I think I knew that. Good. I should text him to come home. You can talk to him too. I pull out my phone trying to figure out how to get him to believe me. What about Harabuji? He'd want to see her again while he can. No, Sonny. Let your father be now. This time, it's for us. How are you? I almost shrug off her question, and with the same answer I give Dad and Harabuji and the school counselor when they ask how I'm doing, I'm fine, really. My classes keep me busy. But this may be the last time I get to speak with her, and I don't want to lie. Not good, I say. 
I miss you so much. Tears drip down on my keyboard. On screen, her character hugs mine, and I can almost feel her arms around me. I do feel her. I'm certain of it, like a cool breeze wafting over my bare arms. I shiver. I miss you too, she says. Tell me everything. I don't know, Mom. I go to school, I come home, I cook dinner, I do homework, I chew my lip. I read your book. I found it on your computer. I hope that's okay. She's silent for so long. I worry we've lost our fragile connection. Of course. What do you think? It's not bad. I wish you finished it. You should have. Maybe... What? If you'd spent less time in the game. I want to take it back as soon as I say it, but it's too late. That's the point, isn't it? All of this. It's too late. She should have been there for me and Dad more often, instead of literally losing herself in a game. We'd all be better off, huh? She sighs. You were a good writer. You should finish my novel. I've thought about it. You should, she repeats. Is there... Are you seeing anyone? Nope, but I met someone nice today. Shaolin Sucker. He says he knows you. I sit up straight. Mom, we have to get you out of there. The game. I know. This world is dying, she says. Maybe when it's over, I'll move on. I shake my head. I've just gotten her back. So I explain about the new server that's supposed to be running a copy of the game. I have to repeat myself because I'm talking too fast, too excitedly for her to follow. We should go there. It's based on the underworld, so I bet that's where you can transfer over. I don't remember the way, she says. I don't either, but I'm already googling for game maps and walkthroughs to get us there. Follow me. I lose track of the time while we walk and talk. I do most of the talking, filling mom in on what's happening in our lives and the real world since she's died. She shares some of the adventures she had in that MC. We discuss her book and my short stories and writing in general. It's just like old times. She tells me that when she's playing, she doesn't remember she was once a living human person. She's simply Unha the Gumiho Warrior. The more that happened, the more she forgot. The more she forgot, the more she became part of the game. Best I can figure is the longer she spent in the virtual world, the more she lost of her real self until finally, she was just code, held together by sheer spirit, a nearly mindless extension of the programming. The only thing keeping her tied to the real world was her connection to me, which allowed her to haunt our home. I suddenly contemplate all the NPCs I've encountered in the game over the years, and how many of them began as more than bits of data. And I notice that we're being followed. As we walk, NPCs stop what they're doing and trailing after us. Their numbers swell as we reach the southern tip of the peninsula, where there is a gate to the underworld. A small army of Gishin soldiers is lined up in front, with a towering figure at their head, a white tiger in full armor standing on its hind legs. The ghosts pull back to create a narrow path for me and Mom as we approach their leader. I don't need to read the words floating over his head to know who he is. King Yamra! I kneel before him. Greetings, O Gushin! His voice booms, a rich sound that expands beyond my headphones and reverberates on the earthly plain. O Gushin, he called me. 
In the stories, the Ogushin is the one who leads spirits to the underworld. I hear shouting in the distance and lift my head, looking around. It sounds like Harabuchi calling my name. Mom's eyes are wide, so I know she hears it too. But no one else reacts. That's when I realize that I'm not interacting with the game through my keyboard and mouse, looking at pixels on a screen. I'm inside it, in the three kingdoms, and it all looks so real. Too real. What if I'm still in the game when the servers are shut down? I have to get out of here. But first, I have to get Mom out. My lord, I say. I wish to deliver my mother, Unha, to your safekeeping. She must give me something of value before she can enter, Yamra says. Hasn't she already given up enough? I have many treasures, King Yamra, Unha says. All of them yours. Yamra holds up a paw, and I see a readout of Unha's inventory. Mere trinkets, he says. But this, he highlights one item, Kumio bead. This is interesting. Wait. He's pulled that from my inventory. I glance at Unha and notice for the first time that she isn't wearing the pearl that belongs with her Kumio costume. Because I am. No, that's everything, I say. I've had that bead with me since she died, and I can't let go of it now. Once Mom's spirit departs from this game, it will be all I have left of her. Unha looks to me. Who else does my soul belong with but the king of the underworld? Your soul? I touched the bead dangling from my neck. I remember the moment she found it. I had gone thrifting with her to find pieces for a costume, but I was more interested in browsing through the 50-cent books and DVDs than musty racks of clothing. I had heard a crash and a soft tingling sound. When I looked for the source, I saw Mom had dropped the plastic tub of costume jewelry and colorful glass, and plastic balls were scattering and bouncing on the tile floor around her. But she ignored it all. Slack-jawed as she stared at something cradled in her palm. This is perfect, she said. It's mine. A kumio's bead contains knowledge, and memories are a kind of knowledge. The shape-changing fox spirits also were known for capturing people's energy. Some myths say that the kumios are the beads themselves, and I wonder if this seemingly cheap bauble, a sentimental keepsake, is where my mother's essence has been stored since her death. This is her soul. I've had it with me all along. If this is true, I certainly don't want to give up the bead now. But it's her only ticket out of here. I nod. You may have it, Lord. I unclasp the chain, slide the pearl off, and drop it into his outstretched paw. I immediately feel lighter. King Yumra pops the gumio bead into his mouth like a tic-tac and swallows it. Then he steps aside and the doors to the underworld open. Mom turns towards someone I haven't noticed before, a tall Korean man dressed in 21st century clothing like me, with a black button-down shirt and black jeans, graying hair pulled into a long, scraggly ponytail. He's in his 50s, and he looks familiar, but I can't place him. The stats displayed over his head say, simply, Chasing Saja, level infinity. Mom kneels before him and says, Thank you for allowing me to see my daughter. He places a hand on the top of her head in blessing. I kneel before him too. He places his hand on my shoulder. His touch is firm and charged with energy. The way is open, Chasung says. Where your mother goes, you may follow, Ogushin. 
but not today or for forty thousand days. I hear sirens, far away as if they're on the other side of the city. The sound washes over me. I hear more voices shouting. Someone sobs. Harabuji prays in a soft rush of Korean, words rising and falling. My mother and I stand up and look at each other. She looks like herself again, and the white hanbok we buried her in. We hug as NPCs swarm from behind us, move around us, and disappear through the open gate. Bye, Mom. I love you, I say. I love you too. Cha Seng presses his hands together and bows to me. Go well, he says. I wake up in a strange bed with a hard mattress and stiff, rough sheets. Something in the room is dripping, beeping. The lights are dimmed and the blinds drawn. A hospital. I slowly turn my head to the right. Harabuji sits beside my bed, poring over his big Bible with a black leather cover and red gilded page edges. He lifts his head and his eyes widen. She's awake, nurses! He rushes to me and grabs my hand with trembling fingers. Son, thank God. Nurses sweep in. A doctor checks me out. They take blood and ask questions until I want to go back to sleep just to make them stop. Then they swirl out again. And when they're gone, Dad is standing in the open door holding two styrofoam cups. He hasn't been sleeping. His eyes are red. Well, look who's back. He grins. Here comes the sun. I groan. What happened to me? I found you slumped over your computer, Harabuji says. I was playing Lot MC. I don't know how much I should tell them now, or whether I will ever tell them what happened to me, where I really was. I must have fallen asleep, I say. We couldn't wake you. Dad sits on the edge of the bed. He hands a cup to Harabuji. I eye the other one. I could use coffee. My head feels heavy and my thoughts are muddled. I was afraid you. He sniffs and shakes his head. They didn't know what was wrong. Just that you were in a coma. You were someplace else. I was. I swallow. My throat's dry. I saw mom. I reach for the pearl around my neck, but it's really gone. Dad sees the gesture. I looked all over for that necklace, but I couldn't find it. How long have I been here? I ask. Six months, Dad says. I pull myself up, and the room spins. Six months? Time in fairyland moves differently, so a day can be a year. But six months? Harabaji sucks in a breath and shakes his head. Brian, he intones disapprovingly. Dad chuckles. I'm kidding. Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's only been eight days. I collapse back onto my pillows in relief. That's still a long time, but much better than losing six months of my life. I look at the clock, just after eleven a.m., which means I do the math. It's just after midnight in Seoul, South Korea, where the makers of Lot MC Chasa is based. It's Friday. Yeah, and I know what you're thinking. But I heard some good news. One of Chasa's developers launched his own private server to keep Lot MC running. It isn't an official release, and there won't be any new content except for fan mods. But it'll be a playable archive of everything that was there. 
They're opening it to crowdfunding, so as long as there are donations, the game will exist in some form. I know, I say. He frowns. How? It was just announced this morning. Did you bring my computer? I look around the room. Your laptop's toast. Your doctor thinks maybe it tracked you somehow. We'll get you a new one. You're not going back into that game, are you? Harabuji asks sharply. I give him an odd look, curious about his phrasing. I'll never log into the Underworld server or visit the Three Kingdoms again. The experience wouldn't ever be the same, and it might even be dangerous for me to go back. It's too easy to get lost in there. There is no need, Harabuji. She's gone, I say. It takes a moment for my meaning to sink in, but then he smiles. He looks happier than I've seen him since his only daughter died. Son? Dad asks. Is there something you want to tell us? A lot. Later on. Hey, instead of a new computer, do you think you can dig up mom's laptop for me? He frowns. What do you want with that old thing? I was wrong before. Mom didn't disappear with the game or the kumiyo bead. Part of her has continued on in me and in our memories and in everything she created in life. I'm going to finish her novel, I say, now that I finally know how it ends. I hate living by the hospital The sirens go all night I used to joke that if they woke you up Somebody better be dying E.C. Myers was assembled in the U.S. from Korean and German parts and raised by a single mother and the public library in Yonkers, New York. He is the author of six young adult novels, including the Andre Norton Award-winning Fair Coin, The Silence of Six, and R.W.B.Y. After the Fall. His short fiction has appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies, most recently, A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, Mother of Invention, and Feral Youth, as well as ongoing serials Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, and Alternus from Serial Box Publishing. E.C. currently lives with his wife, son, and three doofy pets in Pennsylvania. You can find traces of him all over the internet, but especially at ecmyers.net and on Twitter, at ecmyers. Q. Lim was born and raised in South Korea then moved to New York when she was 20, knowing nothing about musical theater except that it was her dream. Q's most known for playing Tup Tim on the first Broadway national tour of The King and I, just after finishing her Broadway debut in the production at Lincoln Center Theater, directed by Tony Award-winning director Bartlett Sher. After the tour, she had the privilege of working with legendary composer Jason Robert Brown on his new musical in the works, Farewell My Concubine. Q has starred as Louisa and the Fantastics, she was also featured as a soloist in an annual concert of Broadway's Rising Stars at a Broadway concert hall, Town Hall, and has played her favorite Disney princesses, Jasmine, Mulan, and Pocahontas, on the Disney Cruise Line. This episode was made possible by our Patreon subscribers. A special thank you to Sean Elliott. Thank you for listening to The Kaleidocast, a production of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers, who can be found at bsfwriters.com. Your hosts are Marcy Arlen as Calliope Degamowitz, 
Bradley Robert Parks as Brad Overstreet, Cameron Roberson as James Earl King II, and Sam Schreiber as Sam Spellingbound. Our music is Delusion of the Fury, Act 2, Treats with Life and with Life Despite Life, Arrest, Trial, and Judgment, Joy in the Marketplace, by Harry Parch, used by permission of Innova Recordings and the Harry Parch Foundation. Our audio was engineered by Kyle Fink and Atticus Garten. This podcast uses many sound effects from YouTube, freesound.org, and from FreeSFX at freesfx.co.uk. Special thanks go out to Mike Allen, Zigzag Claiborne, CSE Cooney, Alpha Daily Majors, Wilson Fowley, Tatiana Gomberg, Julia D. Guzman, Carlos Hernandez, Gary Benjamin Holt Jr., Adeodat Ilbudo Roberson, Larissa De Lima, Marco Palmieri, and Diana Foe. The Kaleidocast and all its contents are protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can share it all you want, but don't sell it or change it, and give credit to the Kaleidocast and its authors. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes or comment on our website at kaleidocast.nyc, which is where you can find links to all our contributors. (laughs) 